All right, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this uh, this evening, this time we have to to come together to look into your word. We thank you once again that it is your word uh, through which you have revealed yourself to us. You have revealed to us your great plan of salvation. You have revealed to us how it is that you would have us to live. And Lord, I pray that, uh, again, that we would be um, doers of your word and not hearers only. Thank you again for this this time to look into your word and pray that uh, you would Give me uh, clarity and to bring forth your word as, as you would have it. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you can turn again to James chapter 1. And we'll start with just a little bit of review before we uh, get off into the, the second part. Uh, this morning we looked at the readiness a readiness toward the Word of God. And when we looked at that, that was in verses 19 and 20. Uh, this readiness towards the, the Word of God is seen in uh, being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And then we spent some time dealing with our, our reception of the Word of God, which is in verse 21, that we are to receive the Word of God and he gives us some guidelines and some directions in that, that we are to receive the Word of God with, with purity, with meekness, and with understanding. So we dealt with uh, some of the aspects that he has here on how we prepare ourselves ahead of time for the Word of God and how we are to make ourselves ready to receive the Word of God. And what type of things that should be in our mind as we approach the Word of God. We are to approach the Word of God for for what it is, the the Word of God, His communication to us. And because of that, we need to have that that readiness and that that reception. Uh, This this evening we'll be uh, looking at verses uh, 22 through 27 predominantly. But let's, uh, let's start with another reading through the text. So starting in James chapter 1, verse 19, he writes this, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all that remains, uh, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in all that he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So by way of reminder, the, the theme that he is dealing with is a theme of, of uh, what I entitled authentic, palpable faith. So it is what does real saving faith look like on a day-to-day basis. Um, James is very practical in his, his approach, and he jumps right in uh, to whatever topic that he is dealing with. And overall, that's, that's the... the the topic that he has, uh, uh, again, as a way of reminder, he's writing to those that are dispersed. They've experienced persecution. They are away from the only church that they, they knew. They're away from those that were teaching the truth that they knew. 
And so he's writing to them so that they may know how they are to live out their new faith. Uh, and he's doing it, uh, you know, via different circumstances come up. He, he deals with trials. He deals with uh, how we conduct ourselves, you know, in a way that is not partial. He deals with the tongue. He deals with what true wisdom looks like. He deals with uh, quarrels. He deals with how to navigate through situations where uh, there's mis- mistreatment. Right in chapter five, the people that he's writing to, they're being um, they're being basically ripped off by uh, rich landowners. So he deals with all these topics, and through it all, is calling the readers to conduct themselves in a way in which they they walk by faith. And practically, what that looks like, it looks like obedience to the word of God, no matter what the circumstances are. It's obedience to what God would have for us, no matter what is going on. And so that's just a little bit of a, a little bit of a reminder of some of the things that we looked at this morning. And and again, the, there's only two possible ways to deal with what is here. Uh, it's if you do not line up, if your faith does not exhibit uh, fruit. If there is no obedience that accompanies faith, if there is no works that accompanies faith, and just again to to make sure there's no confusion, we're not saved by any works that we do, but true saving faith has with it works that accompany it. And we looked at that uh, this morning as well. So if you fail fail the test, if you look and you do not live in accordance to the Word of God, um, either you are not a believer and you need to repent and believe and come to saving faith or you are a believer and you need to repent unto obedience that's the only places that we are we are left with as we go through his text uh, his text here is are we doing these things in the way that he lays them out are we living according to the word or are we living according to our own means or worldly means or whatever it may be so with that said, um, we'll pick up this evening starting in verse 22, and this is really where he gets into our responsiveness to the Word. So how do we respond to the Word? When the Word uh, is presented, when the Word is read, when we study the Word on our own, how do we respond? And he writes this, But prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude, delude themselves. If we expand out that translation to kind of get the idea of what he's saying there, he is saying, but continue becoming doers of the word and stop being only hearers who deceive themselves. So he's, he's calling us to be in this continuous pattern of doing the word of God. And that, again, that's what, that's what faith is, right? Faith is taking God at his word and living according to his word, no matter what the circumstances are. And as I was thinking through this text, and this portion uh, came to my, my thinking that there is a, a great difficulty for us in verse 22. And I wonder if you picked up on what the great difficulty is. Um, there actually There actually isn't one, but it's that cause you to think. The great difficulty is that there is no exception clause. There is no exception clause there. There is no time in which it is the correct course of action to not live according to God's revealed word. And he's dealing with these people that are dispersed and they're going through various trials and difficulties. And as he progresses up to this point in the letter, he starts off with their, the trials that they're going through. They're going through trials, they're going through difficulties, and he calls them to do what God says. The trials are severe enough that they start to blame God for the trials. They say that God's brought this, this sin against us. And then James says, no, it's, God does not cause people to sin. 
God is not tempted by sin, and he does not tempt anyone with sin. So then he progresses on from there, saying that every good gift is from God, so God cannot bring these things into your life that are bad. So in the midst of all this, there's no exception clause that is given. I think at times we, we act like there is. Um, we certainly, you know, I've been guilty of, of, of thinking or saying, uh, well, you don't know what that person did or you don't know how that person treated me, or, or whatever it may be, but there's no exception clause here. Because to, to live by faith, again, is to take God at his word and live according to his word, no matter what the circumstances. And I think a good illustration of this is we see in the summary in Hebrews chapter 11, and I have it in my notes so I can read it so you don't have to turn there, but it is in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32. And there's a summation of all these different people that, that lived by faith. And as we go through, as I read through it, you'll notice that some of them um, had lives where they lived with great victory. And some in the list, list have lives where, from a human perspective, we might say that there was defeat. But through it all, they lived according to God's word. They lived by faith. They trusted God who they cannot see and took him at his word and live accordingly. So in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32, writer of Hebrews writes this, And what more shall I say, for time will fail me if I tell of, for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from, weak wit, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tor tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection." And others experienced mocking and scourging, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in the desert and in mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. And in that list, we see the whole spread of what can happen in life. You know, like I said, great victories, amazing situations in which they were delivered, but also those that were uh, martyred, those that stood firm, stood strong in the Word of God and would not budge, and because of it, uh, it required their life. We can think of uh, throughout history, there's many examples of uh, people, uh, Christians that have stood firm, stood on the truth, would not deny the truth, would not reject Jesus, and it cost them uh, their lives. You know, burned at the stake, beheaded, those type of things. But they stood firm and they lived according to the Word of God. They lived by faith, not by sight, not looking at the circumstances around them, the difficulties around them, but looking to God, who um, Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, God who is able to bring about uh, that which does not exist into existence, because they knew that God was able to, you know, in Hebrews it says, able to bring about the resurrection. They had a future hope of that. They had a future hope of uh, of a city that God was going to build. They had a future hope of knowing who God was and what God was able to do. So that's the difficulty that I was thinking as I came to this text, that there is not a time in which there is a valid reason for us to not follow the Word of God. We are to obey God no matter what the circumstance the phrase that he uses here, too, to delude yourselves is, a, is an interesting phrase. 
Um, it's basically to be uh, uh, beside logic. So it's to be without reason. It's to not think rationally. It's to not think clearly. So this delusion of self, it's, it's thinking that you're okay with God, thinking that you're in good standing in a sense with God, thinking that you are right with God, thinking that you're a believer, but then not following what it is he has to say in his word. So that's the self-delusion. The self-delusion is you're hearing the word and you think that hearing the word is sufficient. Yeah, I sat under the preaching of the word. I heard the word, but then the word takes no effect. It's like, uh, it's like the, the parable of the sower that we looked at this morning that we read through, that the seed doesn't take root. The seed doesn't sprout. There's no fruit. Um, true belief has fruit no matter how small that fruit may be, right? The thief on the cross, he had very little time, but he bore fruit. He testified to the fact that he deserved the punishment, but Jesus did not, and he recognized that he would be, and he said, you know, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He had an understanding of who he was, and even in that small amount of time, he bore fruit and testified to who Christ was. So the phraseology he uses here is that it's, it's beside logic. It's not reasoning. It's not understanding. It's certainly not recognizing what the Word of God is that, that we looked at in some of, the, some of the verses this morning, right? That it's the Word that gave us life. It's the Word that changed who we are. It's the Word that God has implanted within us. It is the Word which is able to save. It's certainly not understanding those things, that it's the word that starts our process of salvation, right? It's God's power into salvation, and it is the word that carries us through while we are in this world. So when we hear and we do not do, herein lies the problem. This is where we need to examine ourselves. Here's the, here's the test that he brings up. Are we hearers who think that we are right with God, but we do not follow what God says in His Word? We know if we love the Lord, we keep His commandments. Right? That is clear. But we also know that not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's in a verse like this that we see what uh, differentiates those that have true faith, that true, true, genuine faith that you, can, that you can see, that you can see in action, and those that are just hearers of the word, and the word takes no root in them. I came across this, this quote here, uh, it's from R.C. Chapman. Uh, he was a preacher in um, the Barnstable. It might have been Barnstable, England, in the uh, early 1800s to the um, early 1900s. And he said this. He said, if we act only because our path is clear of difficulty, this is not faith. Faith acts upon God's word, whatever the difficulty and to walk by faith brings highest glory to God. So we glorify God most when we live in accordance to His Word, when we hear the Word and do the Word. Because then in our thinking, in our action, we are demonstrating that we are taking God at His Word and that we believe what God has to say. And we believe Him in that we are taking the right course of action even when at times it is very costly. Right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what R.C. Chapman's saying in that quote. When, when it's easy to follow the Word of God when there's no pressure, when there's no uh, difficulty, but are we those that will stand when it is difficult? And we looked at uh, in Hebrews 11 there, many of those stood when it was difficult. They took God at His Word 
when it was difficult, when it was hard, when it cost them greatly. Because that's what real faith is. Real faith is taking God at his word and living accordingly. So we are not to simply be auditors of the word of God. That we sit under the the word of God, we take in what it says, we learn some nice truths, some nice facts. But then we don't put in the work. We don't apply. We don't do the, the homework. If you think of an auditor who takes a class, you know, they don't do the homework, they don't take the test, they don't do those type of things. Uh, we're not to be that way. We are to make application. We are not to be uh, dull and unaffected by God's revelation to us. And we are to be doers of the word. He gives us a, an illustration here uh, that paints quite a, quite a picture for us. So we'll walk through that and it's starting in uh, verse 23. So this is for those that are just hearers of the word. And he says this in verse 23, but if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man is blessed in what he does. So I think to, to understand this, this illustration that he brings forth, I think it's a little bit helpful to understand you know, what the mirror would have looked like in the time that this was written. You know, our mirrors reflect very, you know, basically true um, true to form. A mirror they would have had at the time that this was written would most likely have been like polished bronze or some sort of metal. And the, the terminology that he is using isn't such that the person that takes a look in the mirror, it's not like, it's not like we would do where you might just take a quick pass by the mirror to check your hair or whatever it is. Uh, to actually look in the mirror, you actually took some time. So he's using a word that says that it's not like a quick glance. He's using a word that says that they've actually studied. So you've actually looked and you've actually studied. You've taken that time to actually see what is going on. And I think too, it's, it's helpful to consider what's the actual point of even looking into a mirror? Why do we, why do we even do it? What's the point? We typically look into a mirror because we are in a position where we know there's something that needs to be changed or altered or cleaned up or tidied or arranged. So we're doing it because we know there's something that has to be done. There's something that has to be fixed. There's something that needs attention. So in his illustration, he's, he's saying that this individual, he goes to the mirror, he actually looks, and it's not just a glance. And what does he look at? He looks at, uh, just to kind of transliterate the word, he looks at his Genesis face. It's kind of a transliteration of what he's got there. Um, so it's his natural face. It's the face that he was born with. The face that he has seen many times. A face that really doesn't need much scrutiny because you've, you've looked at it before. You're just looking to see what needs to be altered or fixed. And so he's looking in this, this piece of, of, of polished metal. Actually takes a look at the face that he was born with and then walks away and it's of no effect. And I was thinking of just the, the, the reality of the, the, the picture that he is painting. It's supposed to sound absurd. Right? It's supposed to be absurd. Because the, the, the illustration is that it is a folly, right? If we look at the, the, the mirror of the Word of God to see what we are actually like, knowing that we've come to the Word of God because we've got to change, because it requires action, and we walk away and do nothing, then that's the folly. 
it's like um, it's like uh, going to the you know going to the mirror in you know I thought of a couple of of illustrations of this you you know you go to the mirror to look you look at your face it's the face you've seen plenty of times and there's you know some conspicuous cream cheese on your face and you leave and it's it's like you can't be bothered to even put a napkin in the proximity of where you just studied it to be. Uh, the folly of it too, I thought of the folly of it being like if I were to look in a mirror and come to the conclusion that there's a lot of white in my beard, you know, my wife would probably respond, yeah, for some time, you know, it would be it would be a folly because it's something that's been something that I've looked at many, many times. I've also thought of just the, the uniqueness of how God communicates in his word. How many passages does God present the same truth in a slightly different way so that we can see it afresh or see it anew? So the folly he's describing is that you're, you're looking in this, this mirror. You see what needs to be changed. You see what needs to be done. You see what needs to be tidied up, altered, whatever it may be. And no action occurs. So the point is that it's absolute folly. He gives us the contrast in verse 25. The contrast between these two individuals. And in verse 25, he says this, but the one who looks intently at the perfect law. So the word he uses here, it's, it's even more in depth than the previous word. And it carries with it the idea of like stooping down to take a look, to really investigate. And as I was thinking about this, I've, I've always thought of this when you think of uh, little kids playing outside. And my son did it this, this week. I saw him do it this week. Uh, actually, as I was studying through this passage, I looked out the window, and there he was doing this very thing. He stooped down to look at what the ants were doing. Right? He got right down into it to see how the ants were behaving. Um, you know, it's in, he was fully engaged, staring at what they're doing, and you can see a little kid doing it in your mind, probably like squatting right down and getting their face right in it. And they're so excited about what's going on. Uh, they can't even pick their head up when they call their sibling over to see what's going on. They just call them and wave to them, but they don't even, don't even pick their head up because they're so engaged in what is going on. Everything going on around them is, is not a distraction because they're engaged. So the word here that he uses uh, to look intently is that idea that when we look into the word, we're looking with that, in, uh, that intentionality that we want to discover what is there, that we're not going to be distracted by other things, that we want to see what it is that God has for us. We want to get engaged. We want to get right down into what is going on and see what is there. If we look in the mirror and walk away, we have not done that. But we need to be um, focused in on the Word, to stoop down to see what it has. Uh, and in contrast to that, he talks about the forgetful hearer. And as I was looking through what this Word meant, I think that a lot of times that I've thought in the, from this passage that forgetful just kind of had a, the idea of you just didn't remember, but the word is really, um, it's more cutting than that. It carries with it the idea of neglect. So it's not like I just didn't remember or it, it uh, escaped my thinking or I tend to be forgetful. It is, it is the idea of neglect, that there's a, a neglect there, that there's a lack of attentiveness that there is a lack of care when the Word of God is approached. And because, that, because of that, they're a hearer that never really heard because they didn't engage their mind with the Word. They lacked attention to the Word and they didn't 
stoop down to see what the Word actually had to say. So that's what I mean. It's a little bit more cutting because it's not just we forgot. It's that we weren't attentive. Is lack of care. There's lack of concern that's involved with this type of, of um, action that he is dealing with here. He gives us a few descriptions of what this, this word is like, this word that we're supposed to, to study, to understand, to know. And he describes it as the, the perfect law, the law of liberty. In the terminology of perfect law, uh, often that word is used for uh, that, which is, that which is complete and that which is lacking. And I think the way that, that he is using it here, and it's hard to be very dogmatic on this, but I think the way that he is using here is he's using it in the sense of that is the, the, the perfect law and is the law that is complete. I don't think he's, he's focusing back on necessarily the Old Testament alone, but he's focusing in on the, the word of the gospel that has come because again, this is in the setting of the, the very early church. The gospel has come. And so it is the completeness of the Old Testament and uh, the gospel having come. And I, and I say that specifically because he refers to it as the law of liberty, right? It is the law that brings freedom. It is the law that frees us from uh, sin. It is the, the, the word of God that makes it so that we actually can obey the Word of God. Because before God works within us, before God makes us new by His Word, we have no capacity and no desire to obey the Word of God. So he refers to it as the law of liberty, that law that frees. So it is a perfect law in that it is, it is complete. It doesn't lack anything. And I think that his, his picture of what it is, it is, what they have from the Old Testament, right? Because in the early church, that's what they had. The New Testament was being developed. This is very early on in the, the church, possibly the, the first of the letters that was written. So that they're, they're looking back to the, the, the Old Testament, but they have the teaching from Jesus. So he's looking to the teaching of Jesus in this, this, this idea of this perfect law, that which Jesus has brought to them the truth of the gospel that they have. So he's looking to that as that which uh, frees, that which makes it possible that we can actually obey. Uh, we certainly can think of different passages where this, this truth comes up. And in John 8, verse 31, um, starting in verse 31, uh, John writes this, Jesus therefore saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They therefore answered him, we are Abraham's offspring and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall, be made, you shall become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. If therefore the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So I think he's, he's thinking back on the, the, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel that, that makes us free, that frees us from that sin. And again, I, I love all the phraseology that he has for the word of God through this, this passage that we've looked at, right? Back in verse 18, he calls it the word of truth. In verse 21, we see that it is the word implanted. It is the word which is able to save our souls. Uh, here in verse 25, he calls it the, the perfect law and the law of liberty. So he's focusing so much in on the word of God and all the blessings that come to us through the word of God, all the benefits from understanding and living according to the word of God. In the Word of God, we have all that we need for life and godliness. 
I've often reflected on how how much uh, people in our world really just have no idea how to live, right? You can look at that as it goes around, goes along around us from day in to day to day. They just don't know how to live because they've rejected God. They've rejected the Word of God, and it is in the Word of God that we know how to live. And our fallenness, we choose that which is. Uh, destructive, that which is contrary to God. And there's this idea that there's just no capacity to live. Um, Like I said, that we see in the world around us. So in his illustration here, he's pointing out the absolute folly of hearing the Word of God, of being unaffected by the Word of God. And he gives us that illustration But the one who hears the Word of God and abides by it, that remains in it, that lives by it, they are blessed in what they do. And there's so many places within the Scriptures that we see uh, the great blessings that there are in obedience. You know, certainly you can look to, to Psalm 1, where there's great blessing and obedience. Uh, certainly we looked at that as we, we looked through uh, the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Luke. Great blessing and obedience in a living according to the Word of God. So part of the absolute folly we see is that we are removing ourselves from the place of blessing when we do not live according to the Word of God. Because when we live according to the Word of God, we are living in a place where God blesses. It's where God blesses us when we live according to His Word. That's a place of blessing. Because there is great blessing, there is great uh, reward in obedience. James wraps up uh, this, this portion here. And... In my notes, I call this a a resolve, a resolve to continue on in the things that he has presented. And he gives what might seem somewhat disconnected, but I think he's continuing on in the same thought and the same thinking. Because really in these verses, we have an application of some of the things that he has previously mentioned And as you read throughout the book of James, if you continue on, uh, each of these topics that he mentions here, he hits in some other fashion uh, later on in the book in in some way, shape, or form, uh, some more than others. So I call this a resolve based on the Word of God, that we are to be resolved to be those that are doers of the Word and not merely hearers. And he says this, if we think, uh, verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So the resolve is to uh, control our tongues. He deals with that in in great length in chapter 3. Chapter 3, he spends a great portion of time dealing with the tongue, and then right from there he moves into wisdom, which is very much like the the book of Proverbs. If you look at the, the book of Proverbs, you see that there's a lot of time Spent on how we uh, deal with our speech, how we how we speak, uh, the way we speak, the words that we say, the manner in which we say things. It's uh, the book of Proverbs deals with all of those, and we know too from from the teaching of the the New Testament that what we say, what comes out of our mouth, is a reflection of what is in our hearts. So if we are controlling our tongue if we are resolved to follow what God has to say, uh, that really is a resolution of of self-discipline in how we control our tongue. And if we look over to chapter 3, like I said, he deals with that at at great length. Um, He talks about the the power of the tongue, how powerful the tongue is, and he gives a bunch of illustrations here. can really start in verse 1. He says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. 
For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body. Now we put bits into the horse's mouth so that, we, so that they might obey us and we direct their entire body as well. Behold the ships also. They are so great and are driven by strong winds are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. And he, he goes on from there, but you can see the, the great sinfulness that can be produced in how we speak. And so if we are to be doers of the word, one of those things that he brings up is uh, controlling what we say, controlling our tongue. He's certainly, uh, he's dealt with this already as we've gone through this passage. I think uh, we can see this too in, in application of uh, slow to speak, that we are to be careful in what we say and how we bring it forward because there's uh, much damage that could be caused um, through what we say. I've dealt with this, these verses with the, the Pathfinders kids before and, and I've asked them you know, plainly, what is it in your daily routine that gets you in the most trouble. And most of them honestly say, it's my mouth, right? It's how they speak. It's how they say what they say to their parents or how do they speak, how they speak to their siblings or how they might um, twist the truth so that they look better in the situation or they might blame shift to somebody else. So to be doers of the word and not hearers only, he's given us some immediate application here, things that we are to be resolved to do. And the second, he brings forward, um, and again, this, this, what he has here is fitting into that, that self-examination theme, right? Um, if you think you're religious, if you think you're all set, if you think you're doing well, then look at how you control your tongue. Look at how you speak. Look at your pattern of speech. What does that reveal about your heart or who you are? So again, he's still calling for self-examination in this. He's just bringing forward these, these examples. Uh, next he brings up, um, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And as I thought of this, I thought of this as just, uh, we could probably sum this up as to to show compassion, right? If we look at the life of Christ, if we look at how he lived, how he lived out the, the word that was given to him by the Father, he had great compassion on people. We see it, uh, we've seen it many times as we've been going through Luke, the amount of compassion that Jesus had for people, the compassion he had for them and their, their uh, difficulties, the weaknesses of life. And I think that's what James is bringing out here, and he focuses in on, on uh, widows and orphans. And if you think of the, the, the time of the early church, we know from the book of Acts that this was, it was a real thing, right? There was, there was many widows in the early part of the book of Acts. There comes up a struggle between the, the Jewish widows and the, the Hellenistic widows. Uh, so there was, there was quite a few of them, and they had the, did not have the capacity to care for themselves. So he says, if you're going to have a true religion, if you're going to live before God in the manner that is right, uh, you will show compassion. This was certainly a thing that Jesus pointed out to the Pharisees at, at, uh, at times. The Pharisees, they missed out on the, the weighty things of the law and they focused in on the, the minute things and they missed out on the compassion and the mercy. And then uh, lastly here, he brings forward another one, and it is um, to keep oneself unstained by the world. 
So it is to remove uh, worldly thinking, worldly influences. Um, that's one of the things that we do when we come to the Word of God. We come to the Word of God so that we can correct our thinking, so that our thinking lines up with God's thinking, so that we can get our thinking straightened out to think the way that He does, because there's a constant bombardment from the world of wrong thinking. So this is not to buy into the world's system, the world's ways, the world's thinking, but it is to line up our thinking with God's revealed Word and what God thinks on the matter. So just to sum up what, what we've looked at in this, this passage here, um, he begins with, again, that readiness for the Word of God. Do we have that, that readiness? Are we ready to hear the Word of God? Do we put aside our selfish thinking or whatever it may be? Do we have that uh, receptive mindset toward the Word of God such that we, uh, we prepare ourselves to hear the Word of God because when we approach the Word of God, we know that it's so that we can come to know God, so that we can be changed, so that we can have our thinking line up with His thinking. So when we approach the Word of God, we need to approach the Word of God with that reverence. And as we looked at this evening, starting in verse 22, what is our response to the Word of God? Do we have a responsiveness to it? So that when we hear it, we truly hear. And those that truly hear do the Word of God. And we looked at that with the, in the, the parable of the sowers, the sower as well, that those that do the Word of God are the ones that hear the Word of God. And then finally, uh, a resolution. It is to continue on in doing those things that God has outlined in His Word, that we will live by those things. And certainly, as, as James works through this, this passage, there is many places where he calls on us to pray. He does it right in the beginning, in chapter 1, where he's dealing with the people that are, that are suffering in trials, he tells them to consider it all joy. He explains to them what it is that God is doing in their lives through the trials. And he says in verse 6, um, or verse 5, sorry, but if any lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously. So as we, as we deal with the Word of God, as we look to live out the Word of God, as we look to be the one that uh, truly investigates the Word of God, stoops down to see what it has to say so that we live accordingly. Uh, we need to have that uh, uh, bathed in prayer in our lives. We need the Spirit to work within us so that we can carry out what it is that God would have us to do. And again, we are to examine ourselves in the light of this, this passage. Where do we fall? Are we forgetful hearers? Or are we effectual doers? When we hear the Word of God, are we ready to actually carry out what it says? And it's exactly at this point that I said this, you know, this morning that you know, I find that this passage is probably one of the easiest passages to understand what he's saying. That is not a difficult portion of Scripture to understand. To be doers and not just hearers. But the difficulty arises as we live these, live these truths out day after day. Because again, there's no exception clause there. Right? We are to live according to the Word of God, according to what God has revealed for us, uh, no matter what it costs. When it comes to the Word of God, we have to be willing to, to stand alone, to stand for what God has to say, again, regardless of what it costs.
God alone knows what the, what the future of our country will be like, uh, but it is very possible that in our lifetime there will be times when this will be a reality. Whether we are willing to stand for what God has to say in His Word, we are willing to do what God has to say in His Word, regardless of it, what it might cost us. Because again, as, as we desire to live faithfully before God, faith before God is taking God at His Word and living by it. Faith is taking the God who we do not see and living by what He has given us in His Word. So will we be doers of the Word or just merely hearers? That's the question that uh, each of us has to, to answer, that each of us has to, to deal with as we come to the Scriptures. Do we come with the mindset of doing? Do we come with the mindset that we will follow what Christ has for us, what God has for us in His Word? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your goodness to us. Uh, once again, your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your, your word of truth. And, and Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, give each of us that, that resolve, that uh, purposed mindset that we would obey your word. Lord, we know it is better to obey you than man. We know, Lord, that you desire obedience. And Lord, we know too that the, the practical way that we show our love for you is through obeying. Pray that you would help us as a people to be doers of your word. That you would help us as a people to be ready to, to stand on the word that was once for all delivered to the saints. That we would be um, steadfast and unmovable when it comes to the truth of your word. And we thank you again that you have revealed yourself to us that you have told us how we ought to live. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we would truly glorify you in all these things, that we would, be, that we would glorify you through obedience to your word. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.